What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 236, I think, of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It's actually a little harder to keep track of what the hell number episode this is than you might think. Over the past couple of months, I have been stacking up interviews. You all know how I do. I just can't help myself. I love this thing. Over the past year, we've been a little board meeting heavy, and I love the board meetings, but due to the pandemic, that's the direction we went. Now, however, I can sit down across from people. I can have the in-depth conversations that I love having. So we're going to try to get back to a mix of these interviews and the board meetings. So as we are rebranding a little, reformatting a little, we're also getting back to our roots, which makes me pretty happy. This week, I will be on the microphone at the International Climbers Festival. And because I'm picking up the mic again in front of a bunch of people, it reminded me of this interview that I recorded at the end of May in Salt Lake City, just before the World Cups were kicking off there. I sat down with my friend MC Pete Woods. Pete is a Canadian MC, the Canadian MC, I might say. He's also a coach and loves climbing to its core. Pete has been around and I was really looking forward to his commentating debut for the IFSC because I just really wanted to hear what someone who who really loved the idea of talking about climbing in a knowledgeable way, imparting it to the people would do. And while I was at the World Cups live, there was a certain element that I really appreciated when I went back and watched the replay with Pete and Megan commentating for both of those World Cups in Salt Lake City that makes me almost prefer watching the stream. So Pete and I, along with my friend Mario Stanley, who is also on the Plug Tone Audio Network, and hopefully you're listening to his podcast, Sins and Suffers, all sat down in Salt Lake City uh, in the outdoor area at a bar and over beers, had this conversation. Let's get into it. But I am not having internal conversation going, now say this, now do that. I'm just reacting. Be so in the moment of what's happening. Be so aware of the person you're sitting beside and their knowledge base and just talk about climbing. MC Pete Woods. Yes, sir. You made it to the United States. I made it to the United States. You may not, trains and automobiles. You may not make it home for quite some time. There's 
regulations in place. There's steps on the other side of the border that I'm not looking forward to, but I'm I'm psyched to be here. And yeah. I'm, that's a that's the future. That's the long future. I'm less worried about it. Yeah. Is this your first gig commentating for a World Cup? This is. Yeah. Nice. I uh, I emceed <clears throat> on the floor uh, two World Cups in Hamilton uh, a bunch of years ago. The yep. sort of second and third Canadian World Cups. Uh, and that was my taste into the production of it all. But it was a long time ago, and this is the first commentary. Yeah, I have emceed on the floor at World Cups. Which do you think, because you haven't done this one yet, we'll have to follow up after to find <laughs> out, which do you think you're going to like better? And I, it's funny because I, I had written an article ab- about myself yep. for Grip In magazine. Yep. I just read that. A few years ago. And I <clears throat> struggled at the time and was definitely preferred to MC because of yeah. the energy and that right. you're, you become almost integral to the event. So you can be responsible for the crowd. You can be responsible for the energy and you feel like you are there with the athletes. You feel Mm -hmm. like you're feeding off of the crowd and it's this crazy loop of it's a high. And commentary is. is like this very slow measured. It's not slow in your brain, but it's slow measured, careful, removed. I mean, I, did commentary for Canadian nationals. We were in a different room. We were like behind a curtain away from the crowd even. So you're not in the show at all. So there's still part of my personality that likes being in that moment with the athletes on the stage. Yeah. But over the last couple of years, the knowledge transfer that comes from doing commentary out to people mm. has a huge draw to me. So totally getting people <clears throat> to appreciate more the subtlety of a movement, help them understand where two angles come together. It doesn't translate onto the screen very well, especially a laptop screen. Right. And you're like, it not doesn't look hard to you, but that's 20 degrees leaning into 10 degrees the wrong way. Right. And that foothold is actually dual textured on the side you want to use it. And that's why people are falling off there. So you get to give people this layer up after layer to say, this is why this is hard. And yeah. that connection is, is pushing me into, uh, if, you, if you flip the coin now, I would say commentary. I love that. I hadn't thought about that sort of knowledge transfer. And I like that phrase for it too. Um, that's one of the things I didn't like about emceeing big events is that I know there are people in the back who can't really tell what's going on and I can't really tell them what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like I can get them psyched. I can try to get them amped up. I can try to get them yelling, but I can't really explain to them what's happening. No. And I, it's interesting too, because I, I did the bouldering project comps a couple of years ago yep. and the, the feedback as we went through it. And I, I worked really closely with tone day through those mm-hmm. and he was like, let's, let's push the line a little bit. Let's give the crowd in the room more knowledge. So tiptoe along the line of tell the climbers, because right, right. they can hear you. Right. So you can't, you can't cli- slip up and tell you them slip something. up the beta, but you can definitely tell the room more about this yeah. boulders hard that move is tricky. This right. is risky. So yeah. he's like, give them more than just, it's not about, he's like, we don't, we want to go over from hype 
to knowledge as an MC on the floor. And that was a fun challenge. And I, they, I would love to have done a couple in a row. Um, and they had the next year of bouldering projects didn't go as planned. And then now yeah. we're in COVID. So hopefully that comes back around because they're unsanctioned comps. You get to break right. some rules. And that was one of the rules was give the crowd more. And that was fun to toe that line. Totally. That's something I tried to do years ago at at USA Climbing comps. Actually, it might have been before it was even called USA Climbing. I'm not sure. Um, and some people really enjoyed it, but then some people were very like, I think he's trying to give beta to somebody. To one specific person. You know? They're like, oh, he's trying to help Sean. And we're like, no, he's not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And at the end, I mean, one of my favorite kind of points about that is that most of the time they're going to do what they're going to do anyway absolutely they already know yeah whether that is a good or a bad hold like anything you would tell the crowd they know unless it's like oh yeah. not the rose move again <laughs> that no one saw right, <laughs> right. Or, oh i can't believe he's right. gonna go inside out you know then yeah. they're all you're not you may be giving the guy that's in his first finals is like oh i didn't know that yeah. But everybody else is just nodding and smiling and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what you say. Yeah, more often than not, they're seeing things that you didn't see until, you know, unless you saw another athlete try it. Mm -hmm. And they've all already figured it out. They've probably talked amongst yeah. themselves about it. Yeah. You know. And, and athletes, the more you talk to competitive climbers in the now no longer new, but new finals format of getting back together and understanding what's going on the crowd tells them so much long for pauses sure. explosions yeah. of noise people understand yep. like oh that's that they stuck that move in the middle and then they topped it because you you can hear it and you know the boulder because yeah. you previewed the boulder you know how long it takes to do the move you know where they are you yeah. know all those things like you could if you close your eyes you could watch them climb it listening to the crowd and if it's dead quiet they're still on the mat like you know those things yeah. you're going to know anyway totally how did you get into emceeing comps? It, I mean, it is through becoming an aging competitor. So I, you, there's, what is it? If you, uh, you either live long enough to be, what's that expression? No idea. You either Must be a stay the hero expression. or you live long enough to become the villain, right? Mm. One of those. So I, 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 I was on. born the villain. <laughs> born so. The, so you never know the other side of you. Like, I've just I've always been the villain. Um, I, I, because I started climbing late, because that's what you did in the 90s, right? I didn't start climbing, competing really until yeah. I was in my 20s. Um, that by the time I was still hanging on, I was definitely too old to keep up with the 17 and 18 year olds. And it mm -hmm. was just a couple too many missed finals. And I was lucky enough in Calgary, uh, Walson, who owns the CCC gyms, was being progressive at the time and, and was thinking about, you know, live streams before a lot of other gyms were in the same thing and it just handed me a mic and he's like why don't we have you just like keep this thing going like mm. MC this thing people like you and you have a lot of energy and just do it and so i was like okay and i, I think it was like one of those over the ear mics and i had it in my hand like right, this right. tiny little yeah. like tiny little mic mm. in front of my nose and um it agreed with me and then i basically every final i didn't make i emceed it yeah um in Edmonton one year, I made the final after having agreed to MC the final. <laughs> so Dan Archambault was the gym owner, um, reluctantly, and I was the first climber out. I qualified sixth. He, 
like was the MC until I finished my last boulder. Yeah. And then I came off the last boulder and picked up the mic nice. and MC'd the rest of the final because it just became what I did. Yeah. And if you wanted somebody, it was me. And it it just it snowballed. You know, it went from I guess I'll give this a try to I think I'm good at it and I really enjoy it. Yeah. And then in the same parallel was, hey, we're gonna try this live stream thing. And the first live stream was at the CCC on top of a dusty boulder with a flask of scotch and a headset <laughs> talking to myself yeah. for two and a half hours. And there was like 27 people watching, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but that also planted a seed. It was like, hey, this is, this is fun. You should do this every time you get a chance. Cool. Did they have an MC before you or were they just coming into needing no, MCs. I had not seen one. It's really fortuitous, I think, that the first attempt was you. It's someone who was going to connect with it, love mm. it, you know? Because I've seen so many comps that are MC'd poorly, and it's terrible. Agreed. As have <laughs> I. Know? And I, I made that kind of, I was like, oh, man, I've, I've been to a few... Uh, or seen a few along the way, I'm like, oh, this hurts a bit. Like, yeah. and you, I mean, I, I try really hard. I, I waffle back and forth between imposter syndrome and having a lot of confidence. Uh, I think I'm that's really a good, good at this. I think that's a good place to be, actually. I've always thought that imposter syndrome is just this place where you're still hungry and learning. And the minute you, the minute you no longer have that feeling that you might be an imposter, you think you've got it figured out and you're probably being left behind. It, which is, you're it's probably spot on. And because it keeps you pretty humble, you're like, man, I'm, are people just being nice to me or am I really good at right. this? Then you come off days and you're like, and I rewatch most of the broadcasts I do. I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm good at this. Like I really do. And you kind of get this reinforcement that comes from more people asking you to come and do. And you're like, okay, somebody wouldn't ask me to fly across the country or to yeah. come down to the States or go to Japan mm -hmm if they didn't see something that they agreed with. And said, okay, I'm gonna use that as my fuel to say, okay, I'm good at this, you know, and I'm gonna, cause you need to be confident, otherwise totally. you just crumble. Like you can't not be confident, right? Right. So it's a tiptoe to do for sure. Do you have any things you use to flip into a different persona when you're doing it or, or is it just you all the time? That's an interesting question. My mother would tell you that I've, I've just always talked too much. Yeah. Um, I like I like a good story. So I like telling long stories. I like a good joke. Like I, you know, I like to tell a long joke. So I like kind of taking people on a bit of a journey. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing broadcasts, I'm basically me. I'm not putting on I think if I had to put on a, a persona, if I had to be ladies and gentlemen, uh, here we are. It it wouldn't work. Right. Sure. So you when you <clears throat> I, you get authentic me. Um I have to be pretty cautious not to swear because I swear a lot in my regular life. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I've never sworn on, on a broadcast before. I've definitely sworn on a mic before, but I've never s sworn on a broadcast. But you get me. Um, and then the MC is just me dialed up as, as high as you can get. And I don't, I don't drink Red Bull. You know, I don't, I mean, I'll have some scotch for sure um, just because it's, I like it. Yep. Um, but I don't need to get tipsy to be, you know, in control or, you know, over the line. Yep. I just sit down in the corner and say, you got to go and 
make these people part of this show. And then it's almost, it's going to sound so cheesy and maybe you'll edit it out. Maybe you won't. It feels sometimes like an out of body experience. Sure. I could tell you the start of a comp and I could tell you the end and weeks later, days later or watching it back. I'd be like, I remember that. I remember that. Yep. But I am not like having internal conversations with myself going, now say this, right. now go over You're here, just reacting. now do that. I'm just reacting. And in broadcasting is just be so in the moment of what's happening in front of you and be so aware of the person you're sitting beside and their knowledge base that just talk about climate. And yeah. it just becomes, I mean, every now and then you look back and you go, ah, definitely there was some, I talked myself into a corner over there that it was hard to get out of and my co-commentator didn't know how to like back us out so we've definitely right. like and i'm sure that happens you know all over the place absolutely to the best commentators yeah. you know most seasoned commentators but for me the the thing i do to switch into that mode is our hats i i have different hats i i when i put on a hat i can become a different person and it's still me it's just a different part of me, you know. Most of my life, I prefer to be the quiet observer, but I can put on a hat and put a microphone in my hand, and I'm totally fine being center of attention, standing up in front of everyone, make a fool out of myself if I have to, you know. But for me, I need that hat. That's really interesting. Like a, a, a literal physical literal hat, hat. yeah so, i mean this I, I put this on i yeah. become somebody else you that's know it's really interesting and i just wear hats because you know i feel like my hair will go all over the place i mean, <laughs> I mean every you will never you will never find a picture or a video of me emceeing a comp without a hat on yeah just it's just not a thing that happens well, i saw i saw krs1 in concert years ago at this little club that i used to perform at and we had this conversation with him beforehand and he talked about wearing hats and layers to like to have something to do on stage like he'll he'll move his hat you know to have something to do with his hand he'll take layers off like at the time it was it was summer and he had on you know a, a shirt a jacket a big puffy over that you know and then he's taking off layers on stage and and it just helped him move around helped him get into that mode that's really, you know that's it's, that's interesting because everybody I mean, probably not everybody, but most people, if you got in and you really got into it with them, they would start to tell you the things that they do. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of musicians. The Trenton Reznor is famous for being shy. Yeah. Um, and he's got to convince himself to go out on stage and probably still to this day. So people have, and some people probably have to dial it back. Like, I need to not yeah. like lose my mind over there. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, I, I did a, a gym opening for some friends in Montreal, a gym called Hook Bouldering. And they're like, can you, you know, come, we're having, it's a small, but we're, we're having this opening comp. It's going to be dope. And I was like, okay. And at one point near the end, they had opened champagne and stuff because it was their opening comp. And somebody ran up and handed me the bottle of champagne, like on stage. And I was like, every fiber of my being is telling me to drink from this bottle because for a moment you will be like, <laughs> you will be the show. Yes. But I didn't want in the back. I was like, don't, don't step over that line. Yeah. Don't become more than the climbers. Yeah. You know, and afterwards it's like, I wish, why didn't you drink from the bottle? You know, and I was like, and I tried to explain it to them and they were like, oh, I would have been fine. Like, you know, it's this and that, but I, I have this mm. conscious, that's where the conscious part is like, be careful not to insert yourself too much. Yep. Step out of the way 
yeah. when you know that you know be in front when it's time to be in front be out of the way when it's time to be in out of the way and be in front with the climber when that's the right time too and it's an instinct yep. you know um there's times where you just need to be like step back and and you just sort of like are you seeing what i'm seeing over here yeah and there's times when you want to be right underneath and be like you need to be seeing what i'm seeing right now yeah and that is it's just it's instinct yeah i love it i'm glad you said that too like the stepping back and not being in the way uh i've seen a few mcs who get a little they want to be the show you know and and they will make themselves front and center which takes away from the event, you know, takes away from what we're all there to see. Um, I very often, while I'm emceeing at, at big comps, I, I'll be crouched down mm-hmm. in front of the mats, you know, like where no one can see me and they just hear me until something's happening that I need to direct them to, you know. Yeah, and then you pop up <clears throat> into the spotlight or into the out of the corners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's... it's uh, it's fun, right? Like it's fun to yeah. decide. It's fun to weave your way in and out. And uh, Boulder did a couple comps their opening, and they were like, "Here's two hundred bucks or three hundred bucks in twenties. Um, give give it out, nice to the climbers as you see fit." <clears throat> and they knew that ahead of time. Yeah. So there's pictures of me like handing money to people in the middle of Boulder problems, and yeah. that's you know, for me that was funny. Like, okay, this is you need to be part of the event right now. You need to be connected to the climbers. You are absolutely sharing the stage. Yep. And then you're like back and forth and back and forth. If you ever get the chance to, which would mean I would be giving up the event. So, <laughs> so we'll have so to discuss we'll have that. So maybe we'll talk about it. <laughs> you should try and do the So Ill Showdown. Mm. It's a really fun, small, intimate comp that they make a big show of, you know, and they make the climbers feel like mega stars you know <laughs> it's so much fun and the crowd loves it so much just the energy is incredible yeah <clears throat> so. i mean and that's the like it the goal is not always bigger 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 right the goal is different yeah back to comfort and then different back to comfort and then different oh, i love this comp i'd do it every year if i could yep. you know like and as soon as you start like as soon as i started commentating it was like okay I, I know what's the block shop open is going to be good now, right? We, we've done it enough times that it's going to be excellent. Yeah. Um, and that's familiar. And then you go do like, well, I don't know what's going to happen when I go to, you know, down to you know, Minneapolis to the bouldering project. And I'm, you know, I've never met anybody there. I only know right. like three people and I'm just going to be out of my comfort zone the whole time. I think yep. it's important to do that too. And, and going so to do new things and you're like, okay, small was fun. And then mm. man, <laughs> Minneapolis bouldering project final was unreal the room was they had never had an event like that because the gym was so new yeah and it was insane how many people were there and i was like this is amazing those are my favorite types of events to do i mean there was you know i did veil a few years ago and that was a different experience in that there were thousands of people there you know and the best athletes on earth. But those little gym events, and I, you know, little in air quotes there, relatively little, um, with their community in place, you know, and there might be a few climbers from, you know, somewhere else in the country that came in and people are excited to see them. 
but it, that community and they all know each other and they all came to the gym to see the comp, you know, even though they were just climbing there the day before. Yeah. Those are the best for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And because you get the, you get the, I mean, sometimes the staff, right? At those are excited. Mm -hmm. they, you, there's someone who's supposed to be manning the desk and you look over and they're like, if someone comes in this gym right now, yeah. it doesn't, they could steal everything from the front room that, yep. that, you know, people have come over to watch, but people get, like, I think we forget and, I, I've been around climbing for a long time. You've been around climbing for a long time. And whether this is still true or not, but I used to feel that climbing was really bad to its heroes. We were, and I always compared it to skateboarding, where when I was, you know, interested in being a skateboarder, I was, I, I couldn't wait to go get something signed. I had posters on my wall. Yeah. And we came through <clears throat> climbing and people were like, Oh, you think Chris Sharma's so great? Why don't you, do you love him? Like we were negative about people being psyched about sure. their heroes. And I feel like it's tipping. And you go to these events and you watch people lose their minds over yep. watching their peers and then people they've come to see climb. Yep. And I mean, like that's, it makes me feel a little warmer in my soul that we are being better to our best athletes. Yeah. And I think people like you and I have the power to help that along as well. You know, when I emcee outdoor events or, you know, festivals, things like that, I do my best to make a big deal out of, you know, the, even the local athletes who are kind of a big deal and are, are signing posters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one instance at the Red River Gorge, um, the Rocktoberfest they have every, every year Drew Mack was there and was signing posters with John Cardwell. And I made this big deal out of Drew's line is longer than John's, you know, <laughs> and made it this big competition throughout the night. And I think what happens is, you know, you and I are the voices of these events. We're in people's ears when, when they're there, they, they get used to our voices. They hear us all the damn time. And if we're telling them, you need this person is signing posters you need to go talk to them this person is amazing you know watch what this person does i think that helps it along you know whereas it used to just be we would see them in the magazines or in the occasional film that came out you know and there there wasn't that much personal contact and yeah. and in skating it seemed like there was you know and, and even for a sport where there's still like so much, you know, grassroots where you can get, you know, climbers will just show up to comps because they're nearby and yeah. they're like, oh my God, wait a minute, who's here? Yeah. You know, so even in then, but it, it's not so common, but it comes, it pops up every now and then where the, the lines get really blurred. The PCA comps are really good for that. Totally. Because anybody could, the, the number of people that tried to qualify their way in and then stuck around, um, but in the parking lot, you know, in between those things, you'd see like all of those best climbers of the yep. day yep. were just hanging out and you could just go over and start a conversation with any one of those guys and girls yep. and just be like, Hey, I watched you climb earlier. And they weren't like shunning you. And that's the sort of the humor to me is like, they're so nice and yep. they're all so welcoming and people are either, were either too cool or too shy and whatever, however you want to slice that. And if you fell on either side of those, you're like, I'm going to go talk to Chris Sharma right now. Yeah. And there's, he would say hi to you. There's also a weird ego built into climbing that, uh, you know, sure, there are egos in sports like skating. But I think skating, like, you either 
land a trick or you don't. You know, there's no, there's not a lot of gray area mm-hmm. there. You don't have to, you don't get points for, well, you, I mean, you get some points, but for trying really hard. Yeah. You get yeah. almost all the way there. Yeah. yeah. Climbing, there's all this weird gray area where you can blame the setter. You can, you know, blame the conditions. Mm. There's all these things you can, these excuses you can conjure up to help pad your ego mm-hmm. when it's, when it's injured, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that, you know, oh, you think Chris Sharma is so cool. That sort of attitude is like that. I think it's a way for us to pad our egos and make ourselves feel better. And we're just used to it because there's so many excuses we can, we can conjure in. up in yeah. climbing. Which is, I mean, and as you say that, I think of one of the things that I, um, that's interesting about tipping into commentary is that you are afforded the chance to critique Mm. very publicly yeah um and as you should most most sport whatever sport you watch you whatever your personal preference is for if you watch sports on tv the the commentary you notice when they point out mistakes and you notice when you're like really you're gonna just call that a bad pass or a missed pass that was like and in climbing I found it very interesting to be able to say, that's a mistake. This person made an error and they'll know that. And yeah. you have to be, I mean, you can't rip people. I mean, you can't get on people and be like, man, you're having the worst day ever. But you can suggest to the people watching at home that this is not normal performance from, from this, this athlete. Yeah. I mean, like, they'll, I, you sort of say, I, and I, the first, probably a couple of broadcasts, I would tell people, I, I assure you, if you went back and asked Sean, he would tell you he was disappointed that he didn't do that boulder. Yeah. And then you slowly grow, as, as I got more confidence in thinking that people would recognize that I was enough of an authority that I could speak my mind and not have to just endlessly qualify it yep. and just say, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I see because I've been around this for so long and I've competed for so long. And I'm going to tell you absolutely that I know that that's a move that person should have done and they'll be disappointed in it. Um, and that's person you could tell if someone's having an off day and I think that you would rather know I would rather if I was watching a broadcast about myself and having an awful day I would rather that the person doing the commentary was telling people that I was having a bad day instead of them being like that's as good as I've ever seen them try I'm like people are going to think I'm terrible if they think this is my best so the honesty line and it's very interesting to tiptoe because honesty is important but you can't spiral down into nitpicking or kind of piling on somebody you just have to measure it in there yeah with and this is you're just watching somebody who's really capable but not doing it correctly and i i lean back to um, british football commentators who are ruthless very ruthless and that's what and i the grew most up watching entertaining in the most entertaining <laughs> way so i try not to go that's my goal post at one end do you ever wish you had a British accent while you're commentating? I mean, I, my dad's English and my mom's Scottish, so I could do it. You've got a little bit going already. So. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's been, I've joked about it before. It's like, I'll do a whole broadcast <laughs> and just think, how long can you hold a Scottish accent for? I'm like, probably a couple hours. There'll be some mistakes, but yeah. you, you would be like, who is the new guy? Well, you know, to, to be able to give that level of honesty about an athlete, you have to know a lot about the athletes how much homework do you do 
coming into this event, which I assume is you know one of the bigger events you've done? Uh, it it's such an interesting question. Uh, quite a lot, but not so much to get tied into only looking back. Mm. I don't. I try not to steer my commentary into every point has a historical point. I'm a bad historian for one. Um, Same. I don't have a great memory and I'm not the guy that'll tell mm. you at the drop of a hat, you know, who put up the ninth 14 C in Austria. Right. But I know people who are like that. Right. Um, they're kind of, they're, they're history nerds about whether it's outdoor, whether it's competition, yep. whatever it is. And there's a lot of value in that. There's tons of value in it. Um, and I love those people. They're great. I'm like, text me that. <clears throat> well, if you hear somebody talking about something that I, and you think that I'm being vague and you have an answer, yeah. text it to me and I'll say it. So I'm not a great historian, but I will go and look at that athlete's most recent sort of best performances. Um, and I'll go back and watch previous comps and you kind of get a feel for who's good at when you end up with climbers who are good at everything. So it's like, oh, yeah. like I mean, what are you going to do? Like, Yanya is Yanya. Um, exactly. As soon everything. as you said good at everything, that was the first name that popped like, into my head. Right. But there's climbers who are, you know, bad at slab and there's climbers who are bad at compression sort of in general. Um, but you and, have to and, wait and for bad them to make is the relative, relative to the field. <laughs> and you have yeah. to wait for them to make the mistake and then remember in the moment and have the time and the opportunity in the flow of that conversation to be able to say, hey, that's a mistake, you know, from Mika Mawem on a compression boulder that he's normally very good at. But yeah. it doesn't always come up. So I try not to beat myself up over, have a, a tie back to every athlete on every situation. Mm -hmm. I just try and get as much as I can from watching them, especially in the qualifier. Yeah. And then I'm, more focused on what's happening right now. And if there's a, a way to talk about someone's strengths and weaknesses, I'll try and get there. But I find more value in talking about now, last attempt, the last attempt and the next attempt. So my historical line is, you know, four minutes long. When, when you're watching an event, a, a World Cup, a, you know, Canadian Nationals, whatever it is that you're watching, how do you watch it? Do you like sit down in front of the TV and put it up on the screen and watch? Or like I'll very often be cooking dinner while a comp is on and just have it kind of on in the background, glancing at it. What's your preferred way to watch? I'm a, I watch it in... In after I'm a rewind watcher, so I'll watch it uh, a day later, a mm. week later, um, mm -hmm. and then because it allows me to skip, so I'll I'll skip along to things that like I'll skip a boulder I don't think is interesting, um, yeah, and, and because I I I watch with this critical I've coached for such a long time as well, and I think that's a layer of commentary is is understanding movement and understanding and breaking down totally. Um, seeing what needs to be done and why someone's not doing it right and putting all those little pieces together so i'll watch with the idea of ooh, i you know that yeah. needed to be this or that needed to be you know better upper body control or that needed to be a different angle or this person's not doing that and i my focus and attention span for watching comps is a lot shorter than when i'm involved in them does that change how you 
how you commentate? That's a good question. I, I think because it probably it's the does. same for me. Like I, but partly because I want, I like being the MC on the floor. I don't think I would be good at being the commentator because I don't have enough to talk about, about the athletes, you know? I think I could get through a round. <laughs> and then you'd be like, I gotta go back like, to my notes. I've said all the things I, I could say. say. Uh, um, which is funny. Somebody call Pete. <laughs> help a brother out. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that you say that because I'll go into every single comp with uh, either a spreadsheet open or like 10 browser tabs hmm. or a pile of sheets that we gave athletes to write out in ISO. Yeah. And I'll dip into it three or four times yeah. in two and a half hours. Yeah. It just, there isn't enough time. You think, even now after six years of doing commentary, you think every time there's enough time right. to, stel- to, to sort of weave this beautiful backstory about, yeah. you know, how this climber grew up in the, in the foothills in Austria and, and their parents were multi-pitching when they were three and that's what led them into all these things. And you don't. It happens so quickly yeah. That if you are not taking the viewer along on what's in front of them, you've lost them. So the in the moment is because there's a lot going on. I feel that sports like football, like American football, there's a lot of time for yep. statistics yep. and a lot of time for someone else to be doing a lot of homework and being right, like, right. hey, John, did you know that this has only happened 27 times on Thursday nights in April mm-hmm. because you need to fill space. Climbing, you don't need to fill space. Uh, and I was having this discussion mm-hmm. with, um, with Megan Martin, who I'm going to do the, who's going to do the color commentary for mm-hmm. these events. And we had a chat, we've had a couple of conversations sort of leading up and trying, you know, get to know each other a little bit. And there is absolute value in not saying anything. Absolutely. Let the, let the people watch the climbing. You know, especially if it's the third attempt. There's only, you, you, you've run out of things to say about the start of the boulder. You've run out of things to say about how you stick the bonus. And it's like, now I'm just going to work. I'm going to watch it with you. We are, bo- when we are now in the same seat, you at home and me here. We are spectators. And I'll get back to you when something interesting happens. Um, and, but you can't do that every time. So it's this, it's an endless you know, combination of, of juggling and balancing and sort of slipping and falling along the ice without quite falling down. Is that something that came natural to you, understanding those, those quiet moments? Or is it something that you gained from watching other commentary? A bit of both. Um, my natural tendency, because I started doing commentary as alone, was to have no dead air. Yeah, that's, um, that seems to be the tendency you go in with, yeah. right? You know, And then you learn the value mm-hmm. in some moments are better served quietly, you know, as an observation. But it's, I've definitely got it wrong before, um, sure. right? I've definitely been like, wow, I should, that would have been a great moment to just have shut the hell up. Yeah. But those moments get less and less the more times you're faced with the, the split decision of sp- say or don't say, um, it's, it's really hard not to cheer. Like some, I've listened to some commentary and people are like, they cheer. Like, come on, Sean. I'm like, you, that's not right. helpful. That's not, the people every now and, sure, every now and then you might give people like, hey, if this is your attempt to win, 
right? You got to send to go. You're like, ah, you know, you kind of might give it a little bit of a ruha along the way. Yep. But you have to be careful not to be um, like a cheering fan. Totally. Your value is still mm. in control and guiding people through the event and reminding them why you're there. So it's it's a balancing act and it's learned and I'm, I'm learning every time still, you know, what mistake did you make? And, and I'm, I'm a pretty harsh critic and I'll, I'll listen back to comps I've done and yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that or you know that was a good moment there and you so you take notes yeah. along the way and you, absolutely you pay attention and, and you hopefully you learn basically every time sometimes you learn um, from the beginning of one finals to the end of one finals you're like I'm sure. getting the mood for this right now and this is a high energy final and we need to stay high energy and sometimes you need to let the drama but it's uh, I don't know it's a guessing game I guess still you know one one thing I've seen happen particularly in U.S. comps, um, because that's, you know, where most of my experience lies, is that oftentimes they end up with commentators who, who understand outdoor climbing, but don't understand the, the comp climbing scene or the gym scene nearly as well. And what, what I think is the issue with that the main issue with that is that they they don't they can't quite anticipate as well when something spectacular might happen like you have to spend time watching comps to understand when the spectacular moments are set up mm -hmm. and those moments beg for quiet before so that they're bigger mm -hmm. you know and when it's when you're just a commentator who hasn't really done your homework, hasn't paid attention, you're you're going to try to fill the space, and you and you're going to talk right over the spectacular mm -hmm. moment that's about to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the I uh, I'll uh, I'll go one further and say that the more time you spend talking to root setters, the For more sure. you understand when those moments are going to arrive. Absolutely. It's, you know, everybody, we're all really, really good at looking at a boulder and going, "This is what I would do." Um, and then you layer that up to, I'm going to look at a local finals and be like, this is what I think I would do. And then you go to a national finals and you're like, I'm pretty sure that that goes. <laughs> and then you yeah. go to a world cup and you go, I have no, I have idea. no idea what's going to happen here. I need to go talk to someone that either put it together or foreran it. Yeah. Um, and I'll go grab some start holds, right? It, I used to. I used to forerun before I commentated. It was great. It was like, and I've just sort of, I've done this boulder, right? With all the time in the world, uh, you know, it was great. And all the root setters beta and a little bit of a boost and maybe a ladder, but I've did this boulder and I touched that hole. Then I tell you how greasy it is. But now, obviously I'm not going to go climb world cup boulders. I might grab the start holds, you know, and stand yep. under them and look at the angles and all that. For sure. We're going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but talk to the root setters hours spent. I remember sit, I, I've sat with the root setters um, post semis you know the night but, but semis night finals the next day watching the root setters put up finals and tweak them i'll be in the gym for hours hours just taking notes talking to the root setters bringing them when they're kind of in between they're busy but you still got to call you call the chief of you like what's going on i watched the the root setters move a boulder an entire boulder a foot to the right at canadian nationals last year because <clears throat> they needed to stretch a move out but they couldn't have it start any farther left. Right. So then every single hold got moved, you know? So, and you learn from that and you get to tell people that you're like, Hey, this boulder started like this. And I think root setting knowledge 
is just as interesting as historical climber knowledge. And I, I think I might be biased in that way, but I definitely, and I, I'm, I unabashedly bring that bias to broadcasts that I do. And I'm like, the root setting is, it is the only athletic activity that we watch where the venue is curated every single time. <clears throat> and the people right. that build it deserve a piece of the stage. That, I mean, every root setter is like, oh, no, no, no. And Tony's yeah. great expression is, hey, we just put them in the boat and push it out into the lake. What they do once they get there is up to <laughs> right, them. Right. But you still have to build a boat. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. So you'll, you'll notice on my broadcast that I will definitely put time into the mindset of the root setter and the round. So boulder to boulder to boulder. So what are you getting punched in the face with when you come out of ISO? What are you getting faced with after four boulders when you're dog tired? What happened in semis? What did you learn from qualifiers? Where's mm -hmm. the boulder that you don't care if anybody does? We don't care if anybody tops this. We don't want people to top this. We want to see how dig they're gonna, how deep they're gonna dig in this weekend. Yeah. And then tomorrow it's raining and it's humid and boulder three is not gonna go. Sorry. To me, that's fascinating. And climbers yeah. are great, but they're just wind <clears> up and and pull really hard. They're very smart and very strong, but they are climbing on something that took hours and hours and years of effort to build. Yeah. That's so important. You know, it, it reminds me of when I first started performing in clubs. Um, I had a great mentor who was like, don't, don't ever call the sound man sound man. You know, you'll see lots of other rappers do that. Don't do it. The, when you walk into the club, go learn the sound man's name. Right. You know, talk to him by name. And, and he will do you right. Mm -hmm. He might fuck up somebody else's sound, <laughs> you know, but he will do you right. And, and that's what that reminds me of because the root setters are creating the product that makes the whole damn thing work, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm really glad you're, you brought that in because I don't think I would have, mm -hmm. you know, I don't spend when I do comps, I don't spend the amount of time that you do. And that's an oversight for sure. Um, and I think, but I've been I've been mm. lucky enough to have been around some really, really, really good root setters, mm -hmm. as well as some really, really good climbers. Yeah. I'm an awful root setter. Um, I've had a lot of people like, oh, you must, you know, you root set, you must have you been in this. I'm like, no, I'm terrible. Like, if you give me an entire day, I will set a <laughs> pretty good boulder. <laughs> yeah. But I am, mm. I can't commercially root set because I can't put up six boulders in an hour and a half. And I don't have enough creative breadth to set comp boulders. But oh my God, do I know some geniuses and I have come to yeah. know some geniuses in this sport. And, and I think that tempers your opinion. Um, I've just been really lucky and that has, and they're passionate about what they do and they're passionate about explaining it. And it, you cannot help but feed off of that. And yeah. Tonde and I have had hours and hours and hours of conversations. Oh, I mean, I've known him. Such an amazing human to have such hours an amazing of human, conversation right? with. Yeah. And, and I've known him since, um, I, I don't know, 1997 or something. And then he was passionate about root setting. And it rubs off on you. And those conversations, you're like, I want to learn more about what you know yeah. and why you care so much. Mm -hmm. And then he, by default, 
gravitates around people that are also passionate about root setting. So you just have more and more and more conversations about people who care a lot about root setting. It's a fascinating world. Like I'm a, I'm a bigger, I think I'm a bigger fan of root setters than I am of, of competition climbers. Like if you made me pick, I'd be I'm like, I'm way more psyched on root setters. I am definitely a bigger fan of root setters, except for the fact that they're impossible to drag on stage they, yeah. to give love to. Yeah. They, <laughs> That's the only problem. And it's because they feel that they are, the job is not to be the spotlight. Their, their work is up there. And I, I agree with you. I try and get them up and they'll, yeah. you might get them to wave a bit and yeah. you might drag one out to, to, be, to do a quick interview before a broadcast or, or something like that or be like, hey, do you want to come? And they're like, I don't want to be, you can interview me first and use the, like there's lots of humorous little things about it. Yeah. Um, for the most part, they just grind and work really hard and set some really cool things, but they don't want to be, like up there waving and be like, those are my boulders. Yeah. Which totally. I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I, if I were doing that kind of work, I would be, can we talk a little bit about your, like the community that you exist in most of the time? Like we're talking about traveling around all these events and new people and new athletes and, but you've got this amazing community with Boulder. Um, that I've been lucky enough to talk to, um, you know, during the pandemic, during lockdown, I was able to get online and talk to everybody. And, and I've had lots of conversations with some of the community and met some of the community. And it's one of those situations where I'm really looking forward to making it out there someday. Like I want to make it there as much as I want to make it to Rocklands, you know, right. Because of the community. It's, and I think there's a, a, a piece of it that comes from the more time you've, or how long you've known somebody. So what you've seen them be a part of or go through. So some of those people I've known since they were juniors. Mm -hmm. um, and you see people grow up and mature and be successful and then and be unsuccessful and have you know heartbreak in competition and have success on rock you know and do all these other things and you you start to get to know more than just i go to the gym i come home i go to the gym i come home you know um and i think that's a really Im important piece of any community is how much do you want to know about somebody and how much do you know just because and then how much do you want to know about somebody yeah. so what kind of conversations do you have um and as soon as you have a group of people who are more than happy to just connect with anyone at any time so there's no and i find this in a lot of gyms for sure there's no sense of above the average person right there's no like oh those are the <clears throat> you know those right. are the members you know that's the guy that climbs v3 and there's the girl that's been climbing v4 since you know, <laughs> 2015 right um it doesn't exist it's just if you are in the space you belong in the space and that's I think one that of the matters. things i think is the most fascinating about it and and one of the things i love the most um about those kinds of communities is that, you know, you've got superstars in that community. You've got yourself. You've got Josh and Reagan. You've got Paige. 
you know, there are, there are people there who deserve a, a spotlight, but, but I see that community because I follow it online and I, you know, I, I talk to people in that, in that community that they highlight staff, they highlight members, you know, in the same ways that they do Paige or you or Josh or Reagan, you know, and I find that really exciting, uh, you know, um, because it allows everybody else to hold you up to come out to here and do this job that you're going to do and advance this thing that you're doing, you know, it, it allows them to feel like I get supported by this whole community. So I want to support mm -hmm. all the other people in this community. I want to support Paige in her bid. I want to support, you know, Josh and Reagan and opening new gyms. I want to support Pete and going out to the world cup. Yeah. And I do, I, I definitely appreciate that perspective is that you, you have to remember that it takes all of those pieces to create that mm -hmm. you have to have that flow both ways people who are like yeah man I'm, i get it you know and yeah. and i've had i mean it's hilarious i've had people say oh I, you know people kind of recognize you and, and yeah. you're like you can't be like you can't be too cool for school a yeah. because it's not <laughs> that cool yet right like <laughs> i mean it's just not that cool you can't you have you met you, Pete? You're pretty cool. <laughs> you can't brush that off. And I, you may or may not know this, but I teach a, a an advanced bouldering clinic at at Boulder, and mm -hmm. I, I'm I have always been, sometimes a little bit tongue in cheek, but I'm a overly reality harsh, yeah, coach. Yeah, especially we've, we've talked adults. a little bit about this. Yeah. yeah, and we we you and I agree in, in that in the in the hard truths approach to you yeah. didn't do that boulder because you didn't try hard enough and you you definitely didn't care or put your feet where you said you were going to. Yeah. Um, so I I do that more now with adults than I did when I coached juniors because juniors I mean you got to be a little bit more sensitive with sixteen year olds you don't want to send people sure. home crying all the time. Right. Um, so coaching adults <laughs> allows you to have this. A little bit more of a, a, a sort of leeway and I uh, they asked me to write my own blurb for my clinic and I wrote one that was like Peter Woods has been coaching since 2001 and it was very much like kind of a, a resume of things that I've done right. and then I wrote one I was like screw it it's like people tell you why you suck and might tell you how to get better like that's the tone <laughs> of what it was yeah. um, for like a paragraph and that's the one they printed. Yeah. That's the one they put on the website. That's the one they put on the posters. And when I teach my clinic and people come on on first day, I'm like, I just want to make sure that everybody read the description of this clinic. And people are like, this is why I signed up. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen you yelling at people in the gym and I've seen them improve. And you have to remember that you are visible all the time. Mm -hmm. you, you, you step over at some point being invisible in the gym and you can't come in and, and kick boulders and curse and swear and be rude to people and, and leave again because people will go, oh, that's not who I thought that was. Right. And you've tarnished your image, which now, like it or not, I have to be aware that I have a job in which I need the majority of people to at least want to listen to me. They don't have to like me, yeah. but they have to 
not think I'm an idiot and not think I'm an asshole. So I've even backed off some of the posts that I would reply to or things that I would argue with people about because I now have a responsibility that's growing this weekend yeah. in you, in my opinion, cannot be a commentator for the IFSC and chirp people out on social media. Right. So I now have to be a little bit more careful. And my wife, Susan, will, uh, she's like, are you going to? post a few more climbing related photos on your Instagram because it's like nice cats and food. So the last picture <laughs> yeah. on your Instagram is you having a chicken burger. <laughs> and the one before that is a glass of wine. And the one before that is the cat sleeping. Yeah. So are I you appreciate like, that. I appreciate that about you though. <laughs> so people like, and so was like, people are going to be like, Oh, I heard this, you know, the new commentator for the IFSC and I went to his Instagram and see Pete Woods and I, there's no burger. climbing content. Like this dude, like, Skis a lot and drinks too much whiskey and, you know, likes his cats. So I, I have to be a bit more. And it's uncomfortable. I tiptoe back mm. to the same conversation about um, being confident and having an ego and tiptoe in that line and be like, I don't, I still don't want to be so careful that I feel that I've curated this the cool commentator persona because I'm still yeah. just. Can people tell these hilarious? I mean, you think of all the Hollywood shows. I don't know. I'm just a kid from the Hollywood Hills. Like, I don't know how I got to be a, you know, right. a rock star. Like, I, I, I'm just a kid that grew up without climbing in my life and found it late. And immediately, I competed the first year I climbed. I competed. The first year I climbed, I competed, and I came in dead last. Mm -hmm. And I was hooked though. So I have been around competition for so long that I sometimes forget that other people are brand new to it. And they're like, it's they think it's really cool. They're like, it's really cool that you're the commentator. Complete strangers. Yeah. The front desk guy at the hotel was like, what? I was like, if you yeah. watch it online, you'll hear my voice. And he was like, amazing and wrote it down. I'm like, this is kind of new to me. That yeah. people are, <clears throat> they think it's important and they think it's cool. And the new people in the gym, you know, the, the people who are just learning about comps and, you know, tuning into the comp to see what it's all about. You're, you're now, you know, you're not just a kid who's climbing anymore. Well, first off, you're not just a kid anymore. <laughs> Definitely not a kid anymore. <laughs> but you're, you're a representative of, of the whole sport mm -hmm. of competition climbing, you know, and and I think it's smart to take that as a real thing. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to censor yourself. It just means mm -hmm. you have to be a little more careful and think before you, your yeah. thumbs go crazy. A you little know? bit more balance. And I mm -hmm. will, up until about two years ago, I would unabashedly rip speed climbing. Yeah. And I have, like, if you were to go back, <laughs> if you were, if, if, anybody was so inclined and were to go to sort of find the time and be like that dude hates speed climbing that dude is lukewarm about speed climbing <laughs> that dude is promoting speed climbing <laughs> so i have i i have the same trajectory with speed climbing right yeah. and i've realized that i cannot downplay speed climbing yeah um a because it's been part of international competition for a very long time yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's about to become front and center olympic mm -hmm. event so I very and it's consciously, a lot of fucking fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to watch, and <laughs> I have come around 
having watched more, critically watched it. Yeah. Right? The Tomoa skip, like watching Reza just destroy the, all of the original beta, yep. talking to Jackie about the way the route was put together. I have become a fan of the subtlety of the speed climb. The same way if you watch sprinting or short track speed skating or criterion bicycle racing, where it just seems like all you have to do is go really fast and try not to make a mistake. That's not, there are layers and layers and layers and layers to it. And it's interesting to watch people right on the line of, if I go as fast as I can, I will probably make a mistake. If I don't go as fast as I can, I might lose to that guy. And you watch, now that I watch a lot of speed climbing, you watch somebody up against a, a record holder or someone who is like, they know is better than them. The nervousness is way more apparent than one finalist four minutes after another who basically just has to flex on the same boulder. Mm -hmm. And the speed climber has to look over and go, that dude is so much better than my best time. I need to put up my best time minus three tenths and he's got to have a bad day. Yeah. And every now and Mm -hmm. then that person wins. And that makes it really interesting. And it's like... totally. It's like watching 20 boulder finals in a row. So I have gone from speed climbing is a terrible representation of the sport to speed climbing in its own event goalposts is fascinating. I agree completely. But I had to be careful about it. And we're both old dudes here. I know. (laughs) We grew up watching the speed climbing used to be Two routes that random, were probably five random routes, random routes, random routes, and you did yeah. one then the other, and it took you like twenty five seconds to climb. Yeah. It, but you did it as fast as you could. They were not the same route. You would race somebody, but then you would switch. Mm-hmm. You know, if you climb, they were on site. <laughs> yeah, it was remarkable. You know, and it it was, it was kind of the thing that we made the youth athletes do it at the World Championships because we were like Canada shows up to everything. Yeah. Nobody sits the speed event, um, even if you don't think you're going to win. And then it's it has exploded into, my God, people go fast. Yeah, something very cool. Yeah. It's, it makes me want to go to the event and then go home and watch it again because I'm not going to get to hear you while I'm at the event, and now that bums me out a little bit. Pete, I'm, I'm so psyched that climbing competitions has someone who cares as much as you do to be the commentator for them. Um, I hope you keep doing it, frankly, because for me, you know, not to put any pressure on you, but every great sporting moment in history has a commentator who's who's making it special, you know, helping make it special, pointing out what's special in their special way. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't see any footage of any great sport moment without the commentator. And I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here to, here to listen. So. Thank you. I really, I mean, I appreciate you saying that and I appreciate that your recognition of, of the work that I'm trying to put in and what I'm, it, it has, it's no longer a hobby. You know, yeah. this opportunity uh, with the IFSC is, has tipped it over from, you know, the, the Canadian 
commentator to World Cup level commentary and it's become something for me to really work hard at and really bring that level of interest to people, you know, to try and split that line between people who've been watching climbing for years um, and you can't talk down to them too much, but you cannot ignore the people that are tuning in for the first or second or third time and, and need you to remind them what the bonus hold is. Right. And need you to, to, to re-explain the format and, and really break down why a climber can be good at slab and not good at overhanging compression. So that's where the work is coming in and, um, and the passion is there in order to do that so that the next generation of people listening might watch one comp and say, and I, that I really learned more than I thought I was going to. And I, the education and the knowledge transfer to me is so important. And that's what I'm, I'm working at. And I, uh, it, and it's funny that you say that, all, you know, the moments have this audio line because you don't hear sports at the field level. Right. Um, and you, it would just be sort of smashing and grunting anyway. Um, and as you said that, I thought of, moments i thought of um you know I, I thought of the raptors you know winning Ev in game seven everyone you can think of right is going to have a voice behind it and i've had a, a couple of opportunities where people have sort of cut together highlight reels of competitions and you're like i hear my voice over the moment of someone mm -hmm. topping a boulder and you kind of go <clears throat> and i got that one right yeah uh there's a moment at the block shop open of, of alex puccio on the last boulder doing a campus Oh yeah, kind of half underling rose yep. move. Yeah, I know exactly what footage you're talking about. And just by chance, Phil and I got it right. It was like, oh no, she didn't. Oh, I think she did. <laughs> and somebody edited that, and it, that's what got shared, like from her fan base, was that yeah. clip, and not from someone filming it from the crowd. Right. And I was like, man, it's it's really, it's fun to hear whether you got it right or not, and it's a moment, and I'm trying to get as many of those moments in as I can. Yeah, totally. Well, dude, I know you have like the, a crazy few days coming up. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat. It, it means a lot. I've wanted to do this for a long time. So thank you. Um, and I'm happy to do it. And thank you for the opportunity, man. I think you've got a, such a, an interesting take on climbing and the way that you approach training and the way that you're bringing it out to people. And I think that you're, it's, it's interesting, right? You're not just telling the same stories over and over again. Right. So, I mean, I'm psyched to do it and was happy to do it. And, you know, um, let's just keep it rolling. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right. MC Pete Woods, thank you so much for taking the time out of what was a hectic and crazy week, couple of weeks for you to sit down, drink some beers with me and catch up uh, before all the craziness ensued. I hope to hear your voice on many, many more of these IFSC broadcasts. And I hope to get to drink a couple more beers with you again soon. If any of you want to hear more from or about MC Pete Woods, um, number one, you can go listen to him follow up his experience at the IFSC as the broadcaster, as the commentator uh, at Plastic Weekly, which is a great, super nerdy podcast that I believe is only available on YouTube right now. 
um, about World Cups and indoor climbing culture. And you can find that at the show notes in your pocket supercomputers or you can find Plastic Weekly on the YouTubes and some old podcast episodes, which were great on any of those podcast apps that you've got, I think. Don't quote me on that. You can also find MC Pete Woods on Instagram at MC Pete Woods. And during the pandemic, during lockdown, he had several conversations for a podcast called Beyond the Walls, which you'll also have a link to right there in your show notes in your pocket supercomputers. He talks with athletes like Petra Klingler, um, setters Tonde Cotillo and Ayo Sopeju, who you have also heard on this podcast. And you know from listening to this episode that Pete is a great conversationalist, so definitely check those out. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, you will love the other podcasts on the Plug Tone Audio Network, Sins and Suffers with Mario Stanley, and the American Climbing Project hosted by Devin Dabney. You can find those at links right there in your show notes as well. If you're coming to Lander for the International Climbers Festival this weekend, come and see us. We'll be at the trade fair. Lana will be in the booth. I will be on the mic. We've got postcards in your swag bags featuring our friend Drew Mack and a bunch of our other friends climbing around the Lander area that we will mail out for free for you if you drop that postcard signed, addressed, write your note on it at our table, our booth at the trade fair. So hope to see you there. Please come up, say hello. I'd love to chat for a second. In the meantime, you know where to find us at Power Company Climbing on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Pinterest, the YouTubes. You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com on the interwebs. And you should be tweeting about the fact that you want to hear MC Pete Woods on all of the next IFSC broadcasts. I won't see it, though, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this time